0: Talking Social Studies, you're listening to episode number 30, Teaching the Holocaust for May 10th, 2019.
1: I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Violiner.
0: Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds.
2: Men will still say, this would have fighting power.
0: This is the podcast where we talk about social studies and education today. Here you will find conversations about and strategies, resources, ideas, and more, all designed to help today's social studies teachers impact their students. Hello, everyone. I'm Amy Presley, and I'm a history teacher at Broken Arrow High School near Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can follow the Talking Social Studies podcast on Twitter at t a l k i n s s, or you can follow me at s t l in o k.
1: Great. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Scott Padway, uh, tech coach and history teacher out in Pleasanton, California. And you can find me on Twitter at Scott Padway.
3: Hi, I'm Chris Hitchcock. I teach world history for a private online high school affiliated with Indiana University. You can find me on Twitter at hitch 94 You can find our Talking Social Studies website at bit.ly slash talking with a G SS.
2: And hey, everyone, I'm Chris Heffernan. I'm currently a seventh grade global studies teacher, um, but about to become an eighth grade U.S. history teacher at Jefferson Junior High in Naperville, Illinois. You can find me on Twitter at cheffernan 75.
0: So today's episode kind of came out of an article that, Heff, it was you that shared it originally, wasn't
2: it? Uh, it was Chris. Actually, it was the SS chat um, Facebook page that shared it originally. And then Chris Hitch and I were talking about where do we go with this here?
0: So the article was from PBS, and we'll link it in the show notes, but it was a frontline article about, um, you know, anti-Semitism incidents on the rise in schools and teachers kind of grappling with Holocaust education. And we thought, you know, we probably, um, I, I don't know about you all, but I was kind of shocked with some of the statistics that this article had about people just I guess, misinformation and just lack of information about this topic.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's, I think why we needed to to tackle this is just the, the level of ignorance out there. Um, and, And I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's just ignorance. It's not that people don't want to know, it's that they don't know. And then as I think the four of us began digging through this topic and we discovered that, um, there's only eight or 10 states that actually require Holocaust education in social studies curriculums. And like, it, it started to make some sense that there's a reason why a lot of, and, and the article referenced millennials, but like I would say that there's probably more than just millennials, but it, it started to make sense as to why it is that there is this just lack of knowledge about this topic that is just so, so important.
1: And, you know, that's one thing that really is just kind of I've had a hard time wrapping my head around is the fact that theoretically you could go through an entire education having never talked about the Holocaust. Like,
0: well, I, yeah, well, I mean, California,
1: it, it's just something that we've kind of, you know, it's in the 11th grade standards and 10th grade standards. I'm sure it's in some of the elementary standards, like to talk about just it—it just it's mind boggling to me, I think. And, well, that's and why I, don't I was know in getting into Chris this.
0: Chris, Hitchcock, yours is the same as mine. Um, it's in the World History Curriculum. Um, And it's it's in, you know, say the European history curriculum. But a kid needs to take two semesters of non-U.S. history. So in Oklahoma, kids at my site, the largest school in the state, can take East Asian history. And we'll talk about genocide, but we're not talking about the Holocaust. Um, And maybe they take ancient world history. And so they never get past, you know, 1600. So between the two, they never talk about it.
3: Yeah, and I think it's similar in Indiana. They have to take either geography and history of the world or world history, but I'm not sure. I I, I teach world history as opposed to geography and history of the world, so I i haven't looked at those standards. My son take geogra- took geography and history of the world this year, and I don't know that they that – they, I mean, if they did, he hasn't. I mean, he studied it in sixth grade, um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if that's part of it.
0: Well, and even what a sixth grader can and should be able to process is very different from a 17 or 18 year old.
2: Very much so. And it's it's interesting because I just did an informal poll of my students this week in class. And um, right now we're talking about nothing Holocaust related. But there was an article from New Zella that was all about this this. the social media account, this Instagram account that tells a Holocaust story from the point of view of a 13 year old girl in Czechoslovakia. And like, so the setting and everything is historically 1944, but it's being told on Instagram. And so like, you know, there's boomerangs and things like that. And we were talking about it as a class, just as an article that I want them to read just to read more nonfiction. And it was shocking when I said like, you know how many of you know what the Holocaust is? And most of them put their hands up. But then when I dove a little bit deeper and found out that, you know, there was a combination of like the Holocaust is being anti-Jewish. And almost no kids knew what anti-Semitic, they didn't know the term anti-Semitic, but they didn't, they didn't, they knew the word, they knew what it was associated with. They knew it was associated with Nazis. They knew it was associated with, with people who are Jewish, but they didn't, they didn't have any of the context at all.
0: So they wouldn't recognize it in
2: action. Correct. Exactly.
0: Right.
3: Well, and that's one of, one of the, because I am trying to develop for our school, a, uh, an elective on the Holocaust or Holocaust and genocides. I haven't decided, you know, that's still being kind of sorted out, but that I've been taking a lot. I've been, looking at a lot of materials and taking a lot of uh, participating in a bunch of webinars, like from echoes and reflections, facing history and ourselves, um, you know, digging into the materials from the United States Holocaust Memorial museum. And that is one of the things that is emphasized in the, like the pedagogical strategies that these organizations that specialize in teaching about the Holocaust, um, emphasize is that students need to know the historical context and one of the big things is they need to know like the historical background of anti-semitism that it wasn't just a 20th century thing
2: right and that's we had that talk too about that hitler was not the first person who was anti-semitic and he's sadly not the last either
1: right well i mean none of this happens overnight and it all builds up to it and i think that's where we're really talking about getting into is some of the importance on why um why this needs to be discussed and and i'm interested to hear some of the things that uh you guys are all going to be sharing because i think it really gets at you know some ways to approach talking about an atrocity of this magnitude i mean beyond the numbers and beyond the um gosh but just really trying to get at the human element of it and how learning about this can help teach us about the future and how we can avoid, you know, instances of this happening again. Because if you look around the world, like it does, mm-hmm. and not to this extent, but, you know, at what road do you stop that road to hate? And, and how do you become bystand- or an upstander instead of just bystanders and allowing these, um, these genocides to, to, to manifest?
0: Well, and one of the other things that's kind of fascinating about just our conversation is we're, in, we're, we're hundreds of miles from each other. And we're kind of covering not all of the U.S., but, you know, it's it's interesting to see multiple states. You know, um, we've got Indiana and California, Illinois, Oklahoma. I mean, we're kind of scattered around a little bit. And it's it's kind of fascinating to see our um, how we all, like, converge on yeah. the same things and then how we drift in others. And it's also interesting because different areas of the country with population makeups are sensitive about different aspects of it
2: that's i think that's well in, here in illinois um skokie illinois which is a suburb just north of chicago um has for whatever reason and i i don't know what the historical reason is they have the largest number of holocaust survivors outside of europe um oh wow it, it's and it's it is a mostly jewish community um the chicago holocaust museum is actually in skokie um but it's but I think you're right, like because there is that population of survivors, like I think that's one of the reasons why Illinois and I guess Illinois has had it on the books for for years of like and it's not necessarily embedded in the social studies standards so much as it's like a uh, you need to make sure that you include a unit of study on this somewhere in elementary and junior high and high school. But um, I do think you're right that like, you know, because of how spread out we are and the different Demographics that make up an area that that probably does play a role too.
0: All right. Well, Chris Hitch. I mean, I figured we just kind of start with this. Could go down. We could talk about this for hours, which is why I think you know honestly, as we've kind of looked at this topic, I think we are going to look at it as a multi um, multi step kind of a mini series, for lack of a better phrase. Um, You know, today kind of talk about the the why behind it, and then bring in a guest speaker, and then. And then maybe if, if listeners want, maybe round it out with kind of our own lesson plan our our own like mode of attack for how we cover this.
2: Which I think is the best way to go. And as somebody who's about to reenter American history, which is where in our school, we cover this. Like I, I haven't taught the Holocaust like in like a, a full unit in, in a long time. Um, and I have talked about genocide with, seventh graders when we when we look at world geography but you know the holocaust is something that is a little bit different than every other 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 genocide to take a look at so
3: well and it was the one that led to the the that term being developed of genocide and that's another good i mean i think that can be a good starting point with students but what is a genocide when did this term get because I mean, words have histories themselves. When did this term come into being and why? And then that gives you kind of, an, uh, you know, one entry point to beginning that study. And then you can look into other words, too, like anti-Semitism and, you know, some of the backstory of anti-Semitism and its long history and how that, you know, kind of factors into you know, and how that can manifest. And I think, you know, with the, 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 the 10 stages of genocide and talking about people, people make decisions based on what they feel and those decisions can lead to actions and people don't, these are not things that had to happen. People could have chosen differently. And what does that mean for us today in terms of uh, our, us being, you know, rational beings that can witness what is going on around us and make decisions about right versus wrong and going along with the crowd or not depending on what the crowd is doing and what people believe and on what evidence they're basing that.
0: So, I mean, it sounds like we all kind of in the course of our conversations i mean chris you talk about starting with uh, the defining the term and um and what are some i guess some of the stuff that you've gone to study some of these workshops i know i know at least you know one of them i ran into you at which was awesome
3: yeah well um this year actually or this past year at ncss uh one of the workshops that i went to was one of the uh, sessions that I went to was the 10 stages of genocide. And I have to be perfectly honest, I had not really come across that before that point. Um, and since then I have heard it in a lot of those other trainings that I've been in. Um, but I think that can be another good factor. And, it, and it's really interesting to think about, you know, like I started teaching in the mid 1990s and just thinking about like how my practice of teaching in general but also teaching this topic specifically of the holocaust has changed quite a bit oh yeah um, and so i think that might be a you know a, an interesting you know maybe we could kind of look into or talk about how we've changed our approaches to st- to teaching the holocaust and helping students kind of grapple with this um you know i i know in the past you know i would have probably you know, used pictures and videos maybe less selectively than I do now because I don't want students just to focus on people as victims and focus on these over, you know, like these very disturbing images that they may not be mentally and emotionally ready for. But also it's like, what is the purpose of that and being much more intentional in, you know, is it, as effective to help students learn about something to show a lot of corpses as opposed to showing people like an individual and the pictures associated with an individual or a family's life, you know, from before, you know, like the rise of the Nazis to early on um, to when they were being forced to leave their home to go to a ghetto to you know, transportation to a camp or they're doing some, you know, perhaps they, you know, joined a partisan group or something like that, but there were all these, there were these steps. It wasn't just Hitler came to power and rounded everybody up.
0: Or even that he didn't force his way in. This guy was generally elected and very popular. He was times man of the year. Right.
2: Well, and Chris, to, to what you were just talking about there, like, I think that's where, and again, being a junior high person, um, like historical fiction is such a a good gateway to get to show that whole thing of like to show what life was like before Hitler and then in the first few years of Hitler's reign. And then when the concentration camps came and then the death camps came Um, like it, and you see the progression because I, I think. I think you're so right. Like it's, it's so easy to overwhelm kids with, you know, pictures and video. Like I still can picture, I mean, I was in eighth grade 30 years ago and I can still picture the video that my teacher showed me of a bulldozer going through a concentration camps, just moving the bodies. And like it is etched into my brain 30 years later um, because it was such a, a graphic thing, but I didn't necessarily have the ability to contextualize it And think about every other piece of that story, about the fact that each of those corpses was an individual and had a story and a family and a mother and a father and a brother or sister family. I mean, and everything else.
0: Well, and and Chris, like you said, within that, you know, that famous, you know, film um, of Nazi propaganda that turned into a photograph. I mean, just that that backstory. How do you get here? Right. You know, it wasn't just an immediate overnight thing and the steps along the way. And, um, you know, I admit when I started teaching in the early 2000s, it was, you know, hey, you, you, you know, you got your I think it was a DBQ packet, you know, from uh, it wasn't from the DBQ group. It was like a, one of those leaflets that comes with the textbook company. Um, and it, it, it was photographs. It was a series of photographs and, you know, letters and things like that. But again, it was it was the shock and awe it was not so much, how did we get here? Because what is the purpose? Why do most states? I would, I'm gonna kind of go out on a limb here. Based on national standards and based on the two states I've taught in, the purpose of teaching the Holocaust is to avoid this event again. If you don't recognize how it started and you don't understand the steps along the way, you're never gonna stop it. Mm
2: -hmm. So we've
0: lost, we lost our, our guidepost in that. I mean, when I started teaching, I. I showed night and fog to juniors in high school. And now I'm like, Oh heck no. Like, no. Um, I, you know, I, I used to show Schindler's list. I don't do that anymore. Um, because again, it, it it's like Chris said, it's, it's the victim. It's the victimization and focusing on the victimization. Um, I got, I had a visitor from the St. Louis Holocaust Memorial and museum. Um, her name is Lolly Betcher. I don't know if she's still there because it's been 10 years. But she brought a traveling trunk with, you know, discussions with the kids and, um, you know, even the, the, oh gosh, I think it's from teaching tolerance. There's an activity you can have the kids do called the 20 pound activity. Have you guys heard of this?
2: No. Um,
0: The way the lesson goes is to get the kids to understand value of of the things in your life. And, you know, you're told you can take one suitcase and it can't weigh any more than 20 pounds. So you have the kids list. What are they going to take? And of course, they're going to throw in their iPhone, and they're going to throw in their computer, and they're going to throw in whatever. Um, they're, you know, there's always the kid. I'm going to throw in my weapons and this, that, and the other. And then you look at him and you say, "You get none of that." I mean, okay, there's value in that lesson. There is in understanding, you know, why people pack pictures, um, the why people value pictures, but again, it's really hard. I mean, it's 15 years. Of, I've taught world history in some way or another in all those 15 years. And it's so different. If I'm going to show a film, I show the Italian film Life is Beautiful. It's a comedy. What the heck? A Comedy about the Holocaust? How, how can you do this? Um, but that leads to some really interesting conversations with students because it's a story about the love of family. And it's a story about survival it's a story about a parent protecting the mind of their child and and how they do that and it the kids at the beginning they really don't like it but by the end of it um they they get they get the story of survival they get the story of the human heart
1: the way that the way that the way that film ties it all together and ends i think is is a fantastic like connection to to how you know it's it's a hard approach because being, like, a, a fictional story,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think, gives you kind of a gateway in, in, in terms of, like, the shock. And I, like, I remember watching Schindler's List in high school, in 10th grade. We, everyone watched Schindler's List. And it was, some of the images were so graphic. Some of the, like, I mean, I would be, I, as a teacher, get worried about kids going home with nightmares. Well, and, I need to think, mm-hmm. the
0: world is different. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I, I was a junior in high school, when Columbine happened. Yeah you know, I was a high school kid myself. And now, I mean, we've seen the the news in the last couple of days, even. I mean, it, I mean, can you imagine being in the middle of Schindler's list? And then I, I just like, I, I don't know. I don't have the stomach to do that now.
2: Yeah. And it, it's, you know, what's interesting is like when I've gone to the Holocaust museum in DC with kids, like I used to get so frustrated because there'd be some kids who would finish the Holocaust museum in like 25 minutes. And, you know, for me, like, two and a half hours that we have there is not enough time. Like, I want to read everything. And it was last summer when I was talking to one of our students, and she's like, I just, I couldn't handle it. She's like, it was more than I, she's like, I just, I didn't want to see anything else. And it it really is, it's overwhelming. And and I mean, and the Holocaust Museum is so well put together and so well done in D.C. Um, but even there, like, there's still that, you know, the, the shock and awe of, like, you know, the visuals of it. And like, when you see like the model of a concentration camp or even like, there's like the, there's the rail car. Um, and then there's like all the shoes and it's when you start to see all these empty shoes, it's, it's, it really oh, is overwhelming. Like it is so overwhelming for kids. When you see
1: the human hair at places,
2: I'd like, say
0: that always seems like just, when you see the bolts of human hair, they can't, that's it. They're yeah. done. They're done.
1: But mm-hmm. you know, and I think that gets like, and maybe it's partly because of like our work together, like on this podcast. Like, I've really started to fall in love with with audio itself, and I, I think the stories. You know, I, I look at this as, as two routes that you're that you're talking about. You know, we're talking about this um, because of the bigger implications of like making sure history doesn't repeat itself. But there's also the faces to the story. I mean, you know, 11 million, okay, that's one number, but when you start diving into those individual stories, and again, like I think back to you know the experiences for me in school and like the Holocaust speakers that we've had and the opportunities that I've had to hear the people who are actually like there to bear witness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about images. It's, it's about these stories of survival. And, um, and I think it's, you know, as we get farther mm-hmm. and farther every year, I mean, we have less and less uh, survivors left to tell those. I think it's, it's a responsibility, uh, you know, as teachers to help share those stories out. And I think there's tons of, I mean, there's all sorts of places that you can go to find, quality like archived archive stories but i think it's that human face to it um, well and
0: now they're i mean that that um in service thing that chris and i went to at ncss the uh, oh gosh chris help me out it's the show of foundation correct mm-hmm. um where now it's interactive holograms where it recognizes questions you ask and they tell your story like you're having a conversation with this person wow
2: Which, I mean, that just
0: makes the hair on my arm stand on end. Well, Chris, you were, you saw this, didn't
2: you? It's, it's, yeah, it's the one in Chicago. I have not seen it yet. um, But my son went last year and he was, he was fascinated by it. I think we talked about this in one of our other episodes, but yeah, it was, it's, it's holograms and like they, they, I guess at the Chicago Holocaust Museum, like videoed so many different survivors. And again, because of their location in Skokie where they have all these survivors accessible, like they documented as much as they possibly could and then begin to like, I I don't understand the technology of it, but yeah, it's all about like when it hears a keyword in a question, like it knows like what kind of response to give. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating way. And for like my son, it was like, he said it was, it was like he was talking to a human being there. Are they, are, are is, they like you're crazy. talking to kids or are you talking to like the actual um, uh, like survivor, like as an adult? I believe the survivor as an adult, I'll have to double check on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is.
0: Well, I'm sure, you know, as, as this generation is lost, I think that, you know, maybe that would be another layer of that technology to help people understand, you know, you're talking to an 85 year old woman at first. And when you ask about her childhood, you, you meet her as a child and you see her experience through her eyes. Um, and that's, I think what a lot of us want is the kids to understand. I mean, Chris, Um, you talked about the 10 stages of genocide in the last two years. That's, that's been my, um, my own approach is, you know, the kids are like, Oh, we're going to learn about the Holocaust. I'm like, no, we're going to talk about genocide. Um, We're going to talk about how, how genocide happens so that you can recognize it. And we talk about, you know, the, you know, those stages, but really about those, the concept of racism, the concept of marginalization, the concept of identification movements and how just because you don't get to a you know another genocide does not mean these things aren't happening, which is why you see people in modern times throwing a fit when they start they're like, uh uh-uh, uh, red flag, this is a no. This is the point which we say no. Right. And understanding that.
1: Well, and it's so hard to do that, right? Because I mean you look at in the world and, and this is where I think this to me is so is so important, is that you know, you look at what's going on in China. And let's apply the 10 steps, stages of genocide to what, you know, China is doing to these like Muslim uh, Waigar minorities, or you look at what happened in Myanmar. And let's, again, let's apply like where we are. And, you know, when you start talking about the the spectrum and for those of you who don't know the 10 stages of genocide, it's classification, symbolization, discrimination, dehumanization, organization, polarization, preparation, persecution, extermination, and denial. And I think you can really, like, you can start using that as a gauge. But, uh, you know, I linked in Southern Poverty Law Center does this hate watch thing, and, and they just have current events and things that are happening, like, and take a look, you know. I mean, compare, like, look at look at the 10 stages inside and see what, you know, what's just happening in the world. Um, and I think people, you know, if we, we become too passive and, and just let things happen um, without maybe trying to be an upstander at some point, you know, can we slip back into one of these, you know, mass genocides?
2: And well, that's, I mean, I think, I think, uh, and again, having looked at this through the geography lens over the last couple of years and covering more current events, you know, I was telling the kids in my lifetime, there have been seven genocides. And like, I was not born until 1975. So, like, since then, there's been Cambodia and Rwanda and Darfur and, um, you can make the argument that Syria has genocide tendencies and Burma, um, you know, that you're right. We we need to teach kids how to spot it. We need to teach kids like, and then what, not just how to spot it, but then what do you do about it? Once you do. How, spot
0: yeah. I'm a 13 year old kid. What can I do? Well, actually, exactly. you can do a lot.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, well, actually when
3: there's in this article, they're talking about how there's, you know, an increase in antisemitic incidents, you know, at schools, and you know
0: that is where kids are, and what can they do in those situations? And part of that, part of that is just the culture of where you're at. Like I grew up not too far from a very large, not as large, um, Heffernan as you, but St. Louis has a pretty sizable um, Jewish community as well. And so, the idea of some of the things I read about happening, there's no way, like, like you knew. Because, and part of that is, again, you know, people, you have friends, you grow to school with people who have this faith. So it was a pretty mixed, you know, like I don't remember religion being a big topic in my school because there were a lot of different religions represented. So it was just like, Oh, okay, cool. Whatever. Moving on next topic. But that's not the case everywhere. And kids live in these bubbles. Yeah, It's the us and them thing. All right. We're going down like a crazy
1: <laughs> a rabbit hole <laughs> here. With a three-part series?
0: And, and our, yes, why it's a three part series. So, the, the plan um, was that the next episode we were going to continue this discussion by bringing in Jennifer Goss, correct, as how it's pronounced, mm-hmm. um, who is a US Holocaust Memorial and Museum Fellow, and she's also a consultant for Echoes and Reflections. So we're mm-hmm. going to bring in, and a teacher, and a classroom teacher. So, you know, bring in somebody who, who has the pedigree, has the credentials, but also is in the trenches too um, in the classroom. I'm excited.
2: Yeah. That sounds. Too, I don't know if that's the right
0: word. I, I'm I'm really wanting to learn a lot more.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think this is the best way for us to do this here. And and then, you know, our listeners, like you are experts on this just as much as we are. Like we're learning as we're talking. And I think I've learned more today in our 30-minute conversation than I have in, in the previous couple of years. So by all means, tweet at us. Reach out to us. Let us know what it is that you're doing right now that's working, what you're doing that's, you know how your practice of of teaching this has changed because we want to, we want to continue this conversation.
0: And by all means, I mean, if you're, if you're the newbie and you're like, Oh crap, I just showed Schindler's list. (laughs) um, You know, it's, it, we're all learners. We're all in the stages. I mean, we've all admittedly done this too with the best of intentions. And I don't think people do it to be mean. I really do think people make the decisions they do with the best intentions. But like, like Chris, like you said, it's ignorance. It's just a lack of knowing. And so
3: we're hopefully going to um, add to all of our knowledge and learn from our listeners as well as each other and as well from uh, Jim Goss when he comes to visit us next
0: week or in in two weeks for our next recording.
1: Well, I guess until then. Until then. Mm -hmm. Until then.